just with a great sense of joy and anticipation that I get to open God's Word before you this morning and we get to come as sheep to the green pastures of the Lord together. Uh, If you are new to our church or just visiting with us, our family just returned from a summer away um, that the church gave us to be refreshed in the Lord. And I told you guys this last week, but if you weren't here, the Lord just wonderfully answered so many prayers. He ministered to us in ways that we didn't know that we needed. Um, Our family feels refreshed in faith and in hope and in what God wants to do in this coming season. And in coming back, I was praying about what to preach on my first Sunday back. I considered just picking up where David left off in the preaching of the law. And then I thought, the Lord has ministered so much to my heart in very specific, encouraging ways that I want to bring out of the bounty that he has given to me and give it to you so that you can receive fresh encouragement and, and nourishment from him. And in a real way, um, I'm not diving back into David's first point from last week because he didn't preach it thoroughly enough, but it really does tie in to what Pastor Dave was preaching last week when we talk about the Lord is our God. So he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. And this is the premise of all of his giving of the law is that we are his people and he has made us for himself. And so I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 23. And I know that many of you uh, know this psalm by heart. I think it's probably the most memorized chapter in all of the Bible. It's probably the scripture that non-believers or unchurched folks are more familiar with than any other. They've heard it at funerals. They've heard it at weddings. And here we are coming to it on a, a late summer morning as a church. And while you're turning there, I want to just come out of the gates with a pretty heavy, pretty introspective question, kind of wake you up and get you thinking a little bit. But I asked this to a friend the other day, and I think it's, it's good for us to contemplate, but it also sets up our time together this morning. I'm curious if you have considered what your greatest fear is, or if you were going to break it apart into kind of <clears throat> this ultimate, what's your ultimate worst fear? And then what is something that is a cause of daily anxiety for you, just kind of a low-grade fever fear that causes you to worry throughout your daily life. And in this psalm, David talks about traveling through the valley of the shadow of death. And so this psalm really covers everything between that ultimate valley of the shadow of death and everything in between in the valleys of life that feel like death. And so this psalm is a real source of comfort to countless Christians throughout all the ages of the Lord being our shepherd in the midst of real reasons for anxiety or real reasons for fear. And so I'm curious, where are you this morning? Are you worried? If you just kind of step back from your life and you look, are you worried about what you can't control? 
It's where a lot of our anxiety comes from. We have unknowns and we can't control our life. Um, it could be something like I get anxiety when I'm not driving and somebody else is driving because I have control issues, okay? But that's like a very minor issue, but it, it reveals something that's true about anxiety in general. We can't control the circumstances of our life and we can't make things happen. We can't make other people change. We can't provide for ourselves in the way that we want. Or your worry may have made you prone to anger and lacking in peace. If you step back and you look at your life and you think it's been a long time since I've felt any joy in a meaningful way. The circumstances of my life feel like they've swallowed me whole and I'm exhausted or weary. What, what would be the kind of the banner over your life? Like thriving, full of joy and at peace or exhausted, weary, prone to anger, frustrated with myself. I think that's where we find ourselves a lot of times is that I'm not who I want to be. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. And I'm tired in my daily life. Before I left for sabbatical, I was wrestling and weary is how I would describe it. And I wasn't lying to you guys before I left. I was really okay. I think in my, my day-to-day, um, so mine felt a little bit different. In my day-to-day, I felt like I was very much trusting the Lord, very much communing with the Lord and at peace. But when I stepped back from my life and I looked at my life and our church and ministry as a whole, and I would look back at the past or ahead to the future, I would either feel discouraged or weary. And deep down, I think I was worried that I wasn't enough, that I couldn't be enough for enough people even though a lot of instances of people who walked away from the faith or walked away from our church, despite our efforts of shepherding, chasing, loving, leading, despite the fact that none of them were for connected reasons, deep down, I was laden with guilt that I couldn't be enough or that deep down it was my fault. And I think I would step back and and wonder, is the Lord really pleased with me? Is he really pleased with our ministry? And I would just also carry with me a kind of nervous preoccupation with productivity. I don't know if either, any of you ever feel that way, where you just kind of measure your life by doing enough or being enough for everyone. And so there's always a little bit more work to do on the sermon, always someone else to meet with. I might meet with some of you, but there's somebody I was letting down. I'm always apologizing for not responding soon enough or quick enough. And in my most honest moments, just laden with guilt over ways that I let the flock down. And so I get alone with the Lord, and this was kind of our our practice. Um, Kayla and I gave each other a day away every week just to get alone with the Lord and really spend kind of protracted time away with Him. So on my first day away where I got to get my Bible out and I get my notebook out and I'm like, okay, Lord, I am here. I'm ready for you to speak. I'm listening. I want you to restore me. I want you to change me. I'm worried that the sabbatical is not going to be enough to fix me and the church is giving us this huge gift and I'm going to come back just the same. And so what do you want to say? And I've got my pen out. I'm like ready, going to his word. And do you know what God's consistent message to me was just that day and then all through the rest of the time? from things that I would read in his word that were disconnected in different places or books that would layer right on top top and give the exact same messaging. It was this, 
I love you. Before you ever do anything, before I ever change you enough, I want you to know that right where you are, I love you. And your sin and your failures do not define you. So I kind of realized this about myself. I would worship God and and believe these right and true things about him and in efforts of coming to him humbly and whenever I would consider myself before him, I mainly considered myself in relation to him in connection with my sin and my failures. So I was always approaching God on the basis of God, I'm sorry for this, and God, I need to do this better, or God, please change this in me, and that is right and good. But he had to show me even that day that my sin and my failings are not the fundamental basis of my relationship with God. I still come to God on the basis of my sin and my failing and ask him to change me, forgive me, and cleanse me, but he had to show me that there was a me that he created before sin tainted me, before sin marred the image of God in me, that he created on purpose, uniquely and for a reason, and that he's making me new. And so it was as if he said this, hear me and listen to me as both your creator and your redeemer. I delight in you. And he says in his word, greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And I laid down my life for you, my friend. that's, That's the language that he uses to describe his love for us. And so I had to actually take concrete terms like he loves me more than my wife. He loves me more than my mom. Like I had to put, find some people who I knew loved me concretely and say, he loves me more than this and bring it home all the way home to he enjoys being with me. He wants me. He even likes me. He loves you. I'm going to get to how I have an allergic reaction to that. So if you hear that and you're like ready for me to get away from God's love for us so we can focus on his holiness and his transcendence, we will. But I found in myself just such a quick, I I bounce off of the messaging of God's love so that it doesn't feel so me-oriented that I didn't actually make space to believe it in my daily life. And I really believe that God this morning wants to communicate his love for you and probably next week, his presence with you in a, in a fresh way, from an old text, from ancient truth. We are not in the business here of learning something new. We come to God's word to have sincere hearts stirred up by way of reminder. And so that is what this morning is meant to be. And so in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand with me. We're going to read Psalm 23 together. And you know what? I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. But if you know this psalm, if it's precious to you, if you've memorized it, you can say it with me. We can just all read it together. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you that this is a psalm inspired by your Holy Spirit. This is not the best attempt at man of man to comfort our own hearts by just staggering truths about you and how you love and lead us, but that you wrote this for us so that you could communicate truths about your heart so that we could respond with humble faith and follow you. And so I pray that that's what you would produce in us this morning, just a real humility, a real faith to trust you again and to take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Something that we dwell on a lot here is that God creates his illustrations to teach us. So when you and I try to illustrate truth, we have to go fish for stories in our lives or go look at some reality and then draw conclusions from that so that we can understand some greater truth that's harder to grasp, but better. But when God does that, he actually creates the illustration. So the example that we've used a lot is before there was ever such a thing as hunger or bread, Jesus was the bread of life. And he created bread to illustrate a truth about the way that you need him and your life depends on him and that he is true food. And so in the same way, he created sheep and he created shepherds to illustrate truths about you and to illustrate truths about himself. He is communicating something of his heart to us when he describes us as sheep and himself as a shepherd. Now, in this psalm, it's very important that we know that this is a song for the redeemed, for those who have come to Christ through repentance and faith, and Jesus himself has become their shepherd. And so this is not a song for all the world to receive comfort from unless they've come to Jesus in humble faith to have him as their savior and their king. But as we come to him by faith, this is how the Lord Jesus describes himself. I am your shepherd. So in John chapter 10, verse 14 and 16, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is talking to the crowds. He's speaking of his disciples, and he's speaking of us who would one day come to believe on him. And he would say, this is true, that my people will hear my voice and they will follow me as their shepherd and I will lead them and I 
will demonstrate the heart of a shepherd in laying down my life for the sheep. Now, for us, there's not as much familiarity with sheep as there is in this agrarian culture that they lived in in those days, unless you're a farmer, in which case you can send in some tidbits about sheep that could add to the, f- the fullness of this picture this morning. But I want, to, um, I want to share with you some interesting facts about sheep that you've probably heard yourself, but I don't want to bring them to you in this kind of tongue-in-cheek. You always hear people talk about, like, sheep are so dumb, and so that's why you're a sheep, you know? And there's kind of this, like, snarky thing to it, you know? Um, and I, I want you to hear when we describe the neediness of sheep. I want you to hear the comfort of God because he created sheep to be this way on purpose. They weren't, he didn't just go out and find the dumbest animal and was like, you know who you are? <laughs> sheep, you know? But in a real way, he made them exactly like he did on purpose. And I think a lot of us could find ourselves uh, knowing and believing that God cares for you ultimately on paper, but in your day-to-day life, feeling like he's as frustrated with you and disappointed with you as you are, and that you can never get it together, and like he's tired of hearing from you for the same things. So listen to this. Sheep have a natural tendency to wander off and get lost. This is why in Isaiah he would write, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Sheep are basically helpless creatures who cannot survive long without a shepherd upon whose care they're totally dependent. Listen to this, all right? And feel comfort, not offended, all right? Sheep are essentially dumb animals that do not learn well and are extremely difficult to train. They do not have good eyesight, nor do they hear well. They're very slow animals who cannot escape predators. They have no camouflage, no weapons for defense, such as claws, sharp hooves, or powerful jaws. Furthermore, sheep are easily frightened and become easily confused. In fact, they've been known to plunge blindly off a cliff following after one another. So, does this sound familiar? I mean, I read this and I'm thinking, kind of slow, difficult to train, stubborn, don't always pay attention, and actively needing shepherding. So this is one of the truths that we see this morning is that Jesus doesn't sanctify you to the point where you're no longer in need of a shepherd. That's not his heart for you. He wants you to live in vital dependence on him and to need him. And I know just in this church that nobody likes to need stuff. Nobody likes to ask for help. Everybody loves to help. We all want to be the shepherds and not the sheep. But the truth is, before God, we have to humble ourselves and be reminded and content to be needy before him. And then to receive his love and his help and his saving again. And so here's the main point, I think, over these next two weeks. Uh, I was going to preach this in one sermon And then as I continued to study on it, I decided to be merciful to you. And so we're going to do it over two weeks. Um, But sort of this main point that was one of the biggest takeaways from the summer for me that I want to give to you is this. Knowing and believing 
in the love and presence of Jesus as your good shepherd leads to a life of joy and peace. So if you feel like you're lacking joy and peace, and I'm not talking about, you know how we play this game as Christians where we're like, well, joy isn't happiness, and so like I've got joy, but it just doesn't look like joy. But I want for our church like an effusive joy that knows and believes the love that he has for us and knows that Christ is over all and everything is for him and that he's for us and we're walking about with a tangible joy because we are loved by majesty. And that's something that you can't conjure up. You can't make that up. You have to actually believe it for it to be a wellspring of joy in your life. And then we get so much peace and comfort and joy from his presence. So this is going to be the first point of today, and now it's the only point for today. But we'll have places as we go through the first four verses or so where we see this. The Lord Jesus loves and cares for you. That's, that's the point. That's the message. If you get one thing today, I want you to know and remember and believe until you massage this home, until you believe it in your daily life. Until you believe it in the moments where you get afraid or worried, the Lord Jesus loves and cares for me. So we're going to see multiple ways of how he loves and cares for us as he is our shepherd. The first is that he loves and cares for us. He loves us by caring for us and by feeding us. This first verse says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This, this first verse, I think, can be confusing for people because when we talk about not wanting, nobody's experienced that. So then you read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and then you experience feeling like you're lacking. The, another translation says, I, I don't lack anything. And you look at your life and you're like, well, I lack some things. So is the Lord my shepherd? I mean, I feel these needs. I mean, I actually think that there's not even just once. I feel like there's some needs that we have that we're not experiencing right now. And so am I following or is he really my shepherd? But this idea of not wanting is not that you'll have no desires, but that you will lack nothing that you need in God's plan for you or what he calls good. So David says the same thing in Psalm 34, verse 9 and 10. He calls to us, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The next verse says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack, here's a clarification, no good thing. Or what we have uh, I have etched inside my wedding band is Psalm 84:11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So what this verse is saying is, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack anything that is truly good for me. I will not lack any need. And so, if I don't have it, then it's not the Lord's timing and it's not what is 
best for me. And so he, he teaches us this. I, I'm teaching you to trust me. If I answered you right away in this thing, then I wouldn't be bringing you through the school of faith where I'm giving you more of myself. So Jesus, as your shepherd, is always providing for you in the exact way that you need for your ultimate joy in him. He's always doing it. And so you can honestly say, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. There's nothing that my life wants. I have him. I don't know how many um, lemons I had to drive in college and afterwards for this lesson to get driven home because I would pray for sanctification and then the Lord would give me more car troubles. Anybody? Maybe even now? And I'm telling you, I would, I would, first they would hit me and I would be so riddled with worry and anxiety, not knowing how I would provide for them or like, Lord, that's going to take up everything that I have. And the whole time he would be teaching me to trust him and to learn the contentment as Paul says, a learned contentment of having much or having little, of suffering or living in his peace. And so we learn to do all things through Christ who is our strength. And so we get to a point where on, was it Friday night or Saturday, West Brat lost power, if you were there. We lost power for like eight hours. And Kayla and I were praying like, Lord, there's food in the fridge we lost, we just spent like, I think a couple hundred dollars on stuff that's perishable in there. And if you could just please restore power before four hours, that would be really great. Like we would love to not lose that. And we went to bed and when I got up, I realized the power had been off for seven or eight hours. So we lost all that. And you look at um, just how he teaches us in the midst of sanctification, when that happened, I have seen him as my shepherd provide for me all my life long. That at this point, I can throw it out without grumbling and complaining and saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want. He literally, when you're throwing out meat, it's helpful to remember, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so he can replace it real quick. And so this is the point. He's walking with us, and if we have him, what could we want? This is... What the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, keep your life free from a love of money because he has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have me. And so you'll not want for anything that you need. In Philippians 4, 19, Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so this is a source of huge comfort and peace and joy in the midst of your daily life when you remember the Lord is my shepherd and he loves me and he owns everything. And so I won't want for any good thing. He's given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's promised that he'll provide for every need that I have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so I need to preach these truths home to my heart and Cease to worry because I know that in him I have everything that I truly need. And uh, what I want to see with each of these is his heart for you. Look at the generosity and the kindness of Jesus when he says this to you. It's, it's not just, well, Jesus has everything and so he could provide for everything that you need. Now, the inspiration of the scriptures by the Holy Spirit is 
The Lord Jesus loves you and will provide for everything you need out of his riches in glory, and that is an infinite supply. And he will. He has promised that he will. And so if he withholds anything from you, you can know, okay, it's not what is best. It is not what is good for me in this moment because no good thing will my shepherd withhold from me as I walk uprightly with him. And by the same token, his heart is to feed us. And so um, you can see this with sheep. I read different accounts. You know, you read like different shepherds or different I'm online. I don't know how much is like, is this the equivalent of a Wikipedia resource or is this like an actual thing that sheep do? Um, and so some of this stuff I like take with a grain of salt. But you, you're talking about like shepherds having to like make sheep lie down so that they'll eat because they're sitting there like the ground is so far, you know, and I can't, I can't actually lay down to go to sleep. I won't think to do it by myself. And so he's saying the Lord actually makes me to lie down. He brings me into a place of rest and he leads me into green pastures of his life and of his word so that I can taste and see that he is good, so that I can actually rest in him and feed on his good word. And you combine this with what Dave was preaching last week. This is, this is our life. We are hungry. And unless our shepherd leads us into good pastures, we'll feed on anything and this is where we wander off and he has to come chase us down because we were trying to go find food for ourselves in the broken cisterns that can never satisfy us. And so our shepherd leads us into the food that is good, into the worship that is true. And he makes us to lie down in it and he feeds us by his good word. And we know that his, his scriptures are the ultimate green pasture for our souls where we come to see him and know him and taste and see that he is good. And we come to learn, yes, his body is true food and his blood too, true drink as we believe in his sacrifice for us. And we come to him afresh again and again. Um, in John chapter 21, resurrected Lord Jesus appears to Peter on the beach. He's restoring him. And he asked Peter three times in his restoration, Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then multiple times, Jesus' response is, if you love me, what did he want him to do? Go feed my sheep. His heart was for the flock. His heart was for you. He's training a shepherd and saying, I want you to go feed my sheep. I want you to lead my people into green pastures because I care for them. So two times he says, feed my sheep. Another time he says, shepherd my sheep. But his heart, even resurrected, ascended on his throne, is for you to find green pasture, to lead you beside still waters. I've read that sheep are skittish and scared, so they won't even go to drink from like rushing streams. The water has to be like a really certain kind of level, you know? So if you ever feel like you're a little much, just think like, well, I am a sheep, you know? They have to be led to kind of gently rushing streams. Or if the water's rushing too hard and the shepherds have to dam it up and kind of create a still pool for them just so that they can be refreshed and nourished. And this is the heart of God that we see for you when he says, I am your shepherd. This is his heart where you're like, I need it exactly just a certain way. And or I'm easily scared, I'm easily anxious, I'm easily afraid, and he will create space 
to quiet you with his love and to comfort you by his good word. Uh, I want to close out driving home that this is how he feeds us by looking at Jesus um, in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so when this crowd was like a sheep without a shepherd, what did the good shepherd do? What was his response? He began to teach them many things. Because what you need is Jesus' teaching by his word so that your soul tastes and see his goodness here and your heart is satisfied. And so Jesus feeds us and leads us into green pastures as he reveals himself to us in his word. And we taste and see and are satisfied. You see it again in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His heart is to give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Same words for the Lord gracious and merciful and gracious. So this is the Lord God coming to us in the flesh saying, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I'm coming to feed you. I'm coming to bring you into my rest and you will find rest for your souls. And so he loves us and he cares for us by feeding us and by bringing us through him as the door of the sheep to green pastures. He also loves us by leading us. We see this uh, in verse 2 and in verse 3, he leads me beside still waters. And then it, in verse 3 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I love that this word for paths is well-worn paths. These are like Alaskan ruts where like you get in the rut and you're there for 100 miles because these have been trodden before and they're well-worn. And so we're talking about paths that he's given to us by his word, paths that Jesus himself has trodden and that those before us have, have gone before us and have kept well rutted. Um, but you need to find comfort in this because we all easily go astray. You will easily go after wrong teaching or false doctrine or not know how to read God's word. And this is, the confidence that we have in him is that he is leading us. His heart is for you to lead you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That he is concerned about you bringing him glory with your life more than you are. He is more concerned with you finding and discovering his will and walking in his ways than you are. And so as his children, the great desire of our heart is to be pleasing to him and to be made like Christ. And the confidence that we have from this text is that he is leading us into Christ-likeness in a way that you can't escape. This is what he means when he says, goodness and mercy will pursue me or follow me all the days of my life. He's leading you into paths of righteousness for his namesake and by the grace of God, he's going to bring you all the way home, all the way down the path of righteousness into 
his presence where there's fullness of joy forever. And so we can trust him as he leads, as the paths to righteousness lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. This is what we see from verse 4 is that he leads us in paths of righteousness. Very next verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now we're saving a lot of that for next week, but you need to see this. This is not you wandered off into a, a valley of the shadow of death and then he just came and chased you down. But there are times where it is necessary that he leads you into trials and into suffering so that you truly have no lack, so that you truly have him and are conformed into his likeness. And the whole time he's with you and for you, conforming you into the image of Christ and bringing you home. In John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so, this simplifies a lot of life where we would normally be anxious. Because we come to his word, he gives us counsel by his word. We walk in the community of the church, he gives us counsel by his people. We don't have to be stressed out about making decisions or finding his will for our life or our day-to-day -day living because if you find yourself there, there's a good chance that you're not hearing his voice and following him. But as you come to the green pastures of his word and your heart is satisfied as he feeds you and we're coming to his word and he's leading us and we know that he's with us, then we can walk forward in his peace knowing that he's leading us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, even if we don't understand the way that he's leading us, that if we walk with him, we can be confident that the path that he has us on or the decisions that we're waiting for, the things that are unknown are actually orchestrated by the good shepherd to teach us to depend on him. And he's bringing us into further Christ-likeness. He's bringing us into further righteousness. And our part is humbling ourselves before the shepherd and following. And so this is where we have to come to again and again when we realize that we've gone astray or that our hearts have gone astray, or that our affections have gone astray, that we come back to feed on his word and we come back to be led by him and he's always glad to receive us and to lead us again into paths that are truly good for us, that will truly lead into greater Christ-likeness and ultimately home. But we do get off the path a lot, just even daily during your week or even through your day. You may have started the day in the green pastures of his word and then by the time you go to bed that night, you're like, where was I today? I mean, I read, like you spoke to me this morning and I forgot it solid by 9 a.m. And then I just lived the whole, my whole day just making my own decisions. Like I wasn't even, I even think about you till I'm laying down my head at night and I'm feeling guilty about all the ways that I lived for myself or the whatever failures I had or, or just not living with a, a mindfulness of Christ and his word. And so this is where it's so comforting that he loves us by seeking and saving us or restoring us and refreshing us. I asked the kids, they always surprise me with, with some of what they know, even just from watching Superbook. So if you haven't seen that on Right Now Media, we have Right Now Media for free for everybody that you can get on our website. And, um, 
And so my kids, a lot of times, if we're just trying to read our Bible and not get interrupted a million times, we'll just have them watch, um, the, especially the ones that can't read, like, hey, here's your kind of Bible time, go watch this book. And so they know all this stuff about Jesus being our shepherd. And so I'm asking them uh, around the dinner table, what, what does it mean to you that Jesus is your shepherd? What's comforting to you about that? Or, or what are some of the things that he does that means that he's our shepherd? They're going around, they're saying a bunch of really neat and meaningful, true things. Um, but Ethan's almost made me tear up because it was so unexpected. He's like, he finds us. And I was like, yeah, extra precious coming from him. Extra precious because it's exactly what I needed to hear, you know, that he seeks us out and finds us when we lose our way or when we get away from him. And this word for he restores my soul is really pregnant with multiple meanings. It can mean to refresh or to comfort. And that's how we read it, right? He, Jesus restores my soul like a cold glass of water, a refreshing beverage after a miserable hot day mowing the grass. And I come in weary and exhausted and he's a refreshment to me. He gives me life. He gives me joy. But it also means to turn back. Right? So the Septuagint reads, he turns around my soul. He, he seeks me out when I'm away from what is truly good and refreshing, and he brings me back. So the same words used in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I come to God's word, and he revives my heart as he shows me the way that is true, and he brings me back into a right path. And it's used by David in Psalm 51, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So this means he meets you exactly where you are in the midst of your need. When you're sorrowful, he sends forth his word and he comforts you. When you've wandered, he turns you back. When you are languishing, he revives you. When you're lost, he seeks you out. When you, when you sin, he forgives and he sanctifies you. And so his goodness and his mercy follow you all the days of your life I'm skipping over some stuff because I'm only preaching the first point and I'm still over time. Um, he loves us by ruling over us and protecting us. And I cannot tell you how much comfort I've received from this truth when he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod and the staff are a symbol of authority and care. And so this is both Jesus protecting you from every danger that you could find in him having the biggest stick, right? He can protect you from anything or anyone. He says of his sheep, my sheep follow me and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So away with all the thoughts of the devil being some kind of opposite and equal power or any kind of true opposition uh, that is hard for Jesus to deal with, hard for him to fight, hard for you to win or for you to battle sin and sin's just too much for you. The Lord Jesus, his rod is a comfort to us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and he's for you. And so I just walk around with those written truths. If he's our shepherd, then we know, okay, all authority is his. He is king of kings and the Lord of lords and he calls me friend and he's for me. 
And so even though I don't understand all these different circumstances or what's happening in this moment, in this day, that feels overwhelming or overstimulating or fill in the blank, I can rest in knowing the king is for me. This has not escaped him. This is not a surprise to him. This is not something that's just fallen through his hands. I can trust him. And then where I want to close, so all this has been focusing on the Lord is our shepherd. He is the Lord. He's, he's, he's got the rod and the staff. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's our shepherd. He cares for us. But what I want to drive home in closing is the emphasis in this text on he's my shepherd. This song is intensely personal. I want you to hear in closing that you are not lost in a sea of redeemed people in the heart of God. And I think this is what was so staggering to me that day as the Lord's communicating these truths to me and why I went to this psalm to communicate this truth because, well, so my daughter Lucy's just now starting to talk. And one of the first uh, words that she has really nailed really helpfully is mine. And, uh, I think probably a lot of kids, this is one they've realized is like super helpful. So I'll be like, Lucy, what is this? And I'll be trying to get her to say the word of the thing. And she's like, mine. I'm like, okay, so very helpful. I think it's one of the first words that we learn, but also one of the first that we forget when it comes to our relationship with God. In Psalm 16, verse 2, David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside you. And I just wonder for a lot of us, if we were describing who the Lord is, how long it would take for us to work through all his transcendent qualities and his salvation, all the things before we came to, he's mine, shepherd. He loves me and he cares for me. And I realized at the outset of the sabbatical that I had a real allergic reaction to considering the love of God for me. And I think a lot of it was for good reasons. Um, it is right to renounce a me-centered Christianity. It's counterfeit. It's not in the Bible. The Bible and the universe and God himself are unapologetically God-centered. So even in this text, he leads us in paths of righteousness. Why? For his namesake, for the reason he does all that he does. God does everything that he does for his glory. And I think it's been right for us in our overly individualistic age to emphasize community and all the writing that is to the church, plural, so that you know you are not individually the bride of Christ. And all these letters in the New Testament, when they say you, they usually are saying y'all. So we cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us, plural. So I would look at all of those and be like, yeah, this is not just about me. It's about us as a church. We're loved together as a redeemed people. It's not about me. And that is so true. But then I come down to God trying to communicate his love to me personally or this psalm where it's all just the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And I have this kind of like, ugh, because I think we have a right allergic reaction to a me-centered or me-oriented approach to our relationship with God. But in doing so, I realized I was actually denying God glory for him truly loving an unworthy servant. And so I wrote this down in response 
to what he was showing me that day in my time away. I don't allow myself to dwell on this because it feels self-oriented and like I'm taking my eyes off of him or his glory. This is not a new truth, but one I needed to rehear. I know that in failing to believe God loves me, I rob him of the glory of his grace and kindness. I've so focused on the love of God in community that I've not allowed the truth of Galatians 2.20 to come all the way home to roost in my heart. He loved me at the cross and gave himself up for me. And so that's where I want to close today, uh, where I want you to meditate on as we come to the table. He gave himself to redeem for himself the church as a people for his own possession. But in the midst of his redeemed community, as we come to the table together, you are not lost in a sea of redeemed people. Some individual lost in the crowd, but Jesus loved you at the cross and gave himself up for you. And he says, I am your shepherd. He loves you. He leads you. He cares for you. He'll provide for you. You specifically shall not want because he is with you and is for you. And believing this is a fountain of joy. It is where joy begins for you in your Christian life. And, and we have to, as a church, take this off of paper that we believe or truth that we believe for everybody else. And you need to believe it for yourself. The Lord Jesus is your shepherd. That's how he described himself. He created sheep and shepherds the way that he did to illustrate a truth about his heart for you. And so I want to pray and then invite Pastor David up to lead us at the table. So let me pray for us. Father, to truly believe in the measureless love of Christ for his people, to truly believe that you love us and are with us and for us would be such a solution for all of our daily anxieties, our fears, our joylessness, to know and be loved by you is heaven of heavens itself. Lord, we praise you just for a small glimpse into your heart for us, that you look on us with compassion, that you're not mainly frustrated with us in the midst of our failures. What you want is a humility from sheep to come to you and say, I need leading. I need saving again. I need to depend on you again. And to know that you're not put out by shepherding. It's who you are. I pray that in our church that they would be able to say, all of us with Jacob, God has been my shepherd all my life long. Lord, would you lead us and guide us into paths of righteousness for your namesake. Please help us to not be stubborn or to refuse to listen, but to come daily to the green pastures of your word and to delight ourselves in abundance so that we can truly be satisfied as you feed us from your hand. Thank you for the truest food and the truest drink that we come to now as we believe on you 
that you have loved us and given yourself up for us. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for all your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.